Hi everyone, I'm Stefan Moller, partner at Rudd Pedersen in Brussels. Thanks so much for tuning in to Next Generation Public Affairs, a podcast in which we explore trends, tools and methods in the practice of public affairs in Brussels and beyond. On this podcast, you won't hear a huge amount about specific policy or issues per se, but more about what advanced public affairs practitioners are getting up to across things like intelligence gathering, stakeholder management, measurements, um, and so forth. Today, I'm joined by Paul Hillier, who's a partner at um, Ottawa-based agency called Tactics. Paul and I have now met in person, consumed a bit of alcohol, and actually spoken about things other than work. So I think I'm allowed to call you a friend as well as a colleague, Paul. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, so in short, uh, Tactics, uh, Tactics really allows to understand policymakers better. Uh, we've partnered with uh, Tactics now for clients in several sectors, uh, including energy, tech, chemicals and agriculture, and um, they've become one of our most essential partners. But over to you now, Paul. Uh, could you tell listeners a little bit more about yourself and, and Tactics, uh, and of course, talk us through the, the deep learning tool? Steph, thanks for having me. Uh, the partnership that we've had uh, at Tactics with, uh, with Rudd over the past uh, few years has been uh, fantastic. The, the sectors that you mentioned, the, the tools that we've bought been able to bring to uh, bring to the table uh, and really the the on the ground uh, expertise that that you bring uh, have allowed us to do some some pretty fun things together. So I'm excited to talk about them. Uh, Tactics were a we're a tight niche firm. It's it's all about risk communications. It's all about understanding what policymakers are actually thinking about uh, as differentiated from what uh, we may think they're thinking about. Uh, and it's really about bringing data and bringing public affairs into uh, into the 21st century. I mean, as we start to use our artificial intelligence tool uh, to understand what policymakers are thinking, uh, I'm, I'm reminded that virtually every other part of the company already uses artificial intelligence. The accounting departments use it to detect fraud. The R&D departments use it extensively. Operations uh, managers on the plant floor use it to, to increase production. Public affairs really almost seems to be the holdout uh, in terms of not using artificial intelligence. And that's why over the past uh, five or six years, as we built our uh, proprietary uh, deep learning tool called Persuasive Analytics, uh, we've really found a, a niche in terms of using this tool to understand what policymakers uh, are thinking about. Obviously, the first question needs to be about privacy. And that's the thing that uh, certainly in this market comes up most often. So tell us, how do, you, um, how do you safeguard the tool against privacy concerns? That's a great question, because everything that we do is built on anonymized samples. So the, the, the persuasive analytics tool that, we've, uh, that we have is all about building samples. So whether that's a sample of policymakers in Brussels or in Paris, in Warsaw or in Tokyo, uh, in Sacramento, California, we build these samples of roughly 5,000 policymakers that are fully anonymized. So the tools were built back in 2014, 2015, specifically to address GDPR coming into effect. So I, I can't tell you with persuasive analytics what any one policymaker is thinking, and I can't even tell you who specifically is in the sample. And that's what allows us to protect privacy. But what I can tell you what the Brussels bubble or the Paris bubble or the Berlin bubble is thinking. Uh, and so that really allows us to, to analyze how policymakers talk publicly about legislative, regulatory policy priorities, ultimately to uncover what their real concerns are, allows us to test messages that work with policymakers 
and really at the end of the day, find some of these unexpected coalitions. As you've uh, just alluded to, you obviously work across a number of markets. Um, so you can clearly compare Brussels to, uh, to other leading public affairs markets, uh, both sides of the Atlantic and in Asia as well. Uh, so let's talk about pickup in Brussels. Is how, how mature is Brussels um, on this front? Uh, is, is Brussels ready for you guys? So about, about five or six years ago, I, I, I would offer that this is what we're doing with persuasive analytics looked uh, a lot like science fiction. We've been doing it in Canada, we've been doing it in the United States, uh, but Brussels was, I would say, understandably cautious. Uh, but now we're up and running 26 countries uh, and, and Brussels is actually on the leading edge now uh, of using these types of tools. Because um, I, I don't know that I see this as digital advocacy, which I think has a lot of those questions and concerns of is Brussels ready for digital advocacy? Uh, I mean, our inputs are digital data. We're drawing from publicly available social media data, public statements. Uh, so it uses digital as an input, but really what the persuasive analytics tools are all about are pure public affairs. What policymakers are really concerned about, what messages will move the needle, uh, and then what stakeholders to bring into that coalition. Uh, so it, it's about uh, informing and then designing some very tactical public affairs strategies, which really are the, the bread and butter of, of the Brussels bubble. Um, but, but maybe, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I turn it back to you of, you've been on the receiving end of that research, so maybe you're actually better positioned than I am uh, to answer the question of, is Brussels ready? So Steph, same question back to you. Is Brussels ready? So in all honesty, insight on what policymakers think has tended to be based on personal experience uh, and knowledge uh, that public affairs practitioners hold. Uh, you know, and that's only natural. And to be honest, a lot of times that experience and that knowledge is very sound indeed. So no, Brussels isn't big on spending lots on on, on insights and on, on sentiment and opinion. But having said that, let's look at our record together. Uh, we've now worked with you across, what is it, five, six, seven clients. Um, so clearly the more progressive clients are open to it. Um, so that's perhaps a long-winded way of answering the question, is Brussels ready? Yeah, I think the early adopters are certainly ready. Um, but I think, uh, and perhaps we'll get back to this at some point later, I think the biggest selling point is the fact that um, clients who tried it out once have come back for more because they've, the, they've seen the value, they've adapted their strategy, they've adapted their toolkit based on what you've been able to tell them. Let's get a little bit more specific, because uh, I know you guys are doing a lot of work in, on, on, uh, on sustainability issues. Um, clearly, one of the areas where we've used your, your, your tool for clients is on, on, on all things sustainability. So let's talk about that for a moment. Sure. So sustainability, uh, I mean, huge, huge issue for us. If I had to say this, uh, you know, give, give the trend line. Three or four years ago, every time a client was engaging uh, the persuasive analytics tools, uh, it was almost always defensive in nature. Our policymakers worried about a certain chemistry, a certain ingredient, a certain technology. Uh, and, and those concerns were, I mean, varied. Some were human safety, some were environmental. But at the end of the day, three, four years ago, almost everything was defensive in nature. And, and of course, that's still prevalent. But the, the difference, I think, where we are today is that there's almost an equal emphasis on where sustainability uh, can be a competitive advantage. Uh, and this is where the public affairs 
uh, capacity starts to actually present a, a competitive advantage. So and we consistently find um, that, at least amongst market leaders, that the public affairs part of the business uh, and the commercial, the brand managers work in lockstep. So that's, that's really is a differentiator for us between market leaders in, in an industry and some of the, 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 the more distant followers. The more distant followers tend to be very siloed. Public affairs is often one corner and the commercial brand managers tend to be uh, in another corner. Uh, but what we're starting to see uh, around sustainability is the public affairs function has such an important role to play in communicating uh, that sustainability uh, messaging and it offers a genuine competitive differentiation. Uh, so now the, the commercial brand managers uh, have a reason to care about it and, and a reason to proactively engage the, the public affairs uh, side of the house. So I'd say now what we're doing with the persuasive analytics tools is using this artificial intelligence to find what policymakers really care about when we say sustainability. Uh, and I think this gets at, you know, everyone wants to just trot out sustainability and, and, and put the words of, you know, we're good for the Green Deal and, and think that that's going to, you know, check the box. Uh, but now what we're seeing is, you know, if, if you treat it more seriously and find the right ways to, to engage, uh, it can start to, to get a bit more of a competitive edge. So could you be a bit more specific in terms of, uh, obviously, I'm not asking you to talk about specific client engagements, but could you perhaps tell us a little bit more about what, is, what does this actually mean in, in, in practice for the organizations that you represented? Sure. So, so let me use the, the sustainability uh, example here. So it was a Fortune 50 company uh, we were working with uh, a few months ago uh, that was trying to assess five different sustainability priorities. Uh, I mean, it's uh, a dirty secret in sustainability that we don't like to talk about um, sustainability priorities as being uh, in competition with one another or mutually exclusive, uh, but there really are only so many either corporate dollars, corporate attention, uh, or corporate priorities that you can have. Uh, so the, the company was looking to benchmark five different sustainability priorities. Uh, two of them were environmental, two were social, and one was governance-based. Um, so we benchmarked how policymakers actually viewed the company versus uh, their competitors. So in, in this case I'm describing, company was off the charts strong uh, in two of the social issues, both of them, uh, and one of the two environmental issues. It was great news uh, for them as they first looked at it. But then the second, we then used the, uh, the AI tools to assess how important each of those five sustainability uh, issues were to policymakers uh, in that given sector. And what we found was that the environmental issue where our client was weakest is the one that mattered most to policymakers. Uh, and so this is where pure public affairs comes in. Uh, and, and frankly, where when we partnered, uh, Steph, with your team is, is where your team ends up picking up the torch, I think, is that the, those insights that the company was strong in areas that didn't matter to policymakers, and they were weak in areas that matter tremendously to policymakers. I mean, really, I see two options. One is run a campaign on you know, increasing the importance of the, the areas where they're strong uh, in order to put competitors in a difficult spot? Uh, or do you run a campaign that tries to, to bolster uh, your image in, in the area that you're weak? Now, we ended up doing both, uh, and, and they saw quite an uptick uh, in, in perception amongst policymakers and quite a rapid uh, decrease in terms of the problems they were being faced with 
uh, at both a, a regulatory level uh, and a legislative level. A couple of things that you just said resonated. Uh, I think one, the whole specter of experience versus expectation as well. Um, you know, what is it? What is it the policymakers actually uh, expect from us? Yeah, that's something that we've traditionally not been particularly good at evaluating in, in, in our line of work. If you look at the three elements of, of ESG, we're so focused at present, understandably so, on, on the first pillar, the environmental pillar we've sort of lost track of the other two, um, the social and the governance. And depending on the sector at hand, clearly governance, for instance, in financial services, one would argue, is probably going to be more more heavily scrutinized and is going to be of, of greater interest. But obviously, you know, in, the, in this town, certainly, as with most other public affairs markets, what drives companies' choices is, is the policy agenda. So if you see that the policy agenda is 95% focused on, on, on Green Deal matters uh, related almost exclusively to environmental matters, you know, perhaps naturally that's, that's where you'd gravitate towards. So yeah, certainly you know, I could see the work that you do being absolutely invaluable in, in, in directing clients towards what's expected by policymakers rather than what you'd assume they'd be most interested in. I mean, I think one thing I'd also stress is again looking at the work that we've done together one thing is one thing is a strategic shift one thing is saying okay listen we've we've got this uh, we've got this intel let's shift strategy let's go from working with one set of allies to a different set of allies let's go from focusing on an inside lobbying to, to outside lobbying sometimes that's pretty challenging i'd argue where we probably had more success is shifting positioning or shifting messaging so you know and that's perhaps easier uh, hurdle to, to jump over for most clients it's using the insights that you guys provide in order to really determine what the most effective messaging is and I mean I remember one of the well, one of the bigger clients we've worked on together we tested one of their key messages which they were going to run their campaign on and our assessment uh, or the assessment that you ran determined the fact that 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 message wouldn't only not work or not be of interest but would actually backfire and we drastically shifted to another narrative and that client has now I think come back and worked with you I think a couple more times so they're obviously grateful and value what you do. I think you just hit the nail on the head there I mean you know so when we test messages using the the tool I mean if we test eight or nine different messages for a, a mature client that's been fighting the same issue for for a half dozen years it, it's unlikely that we're going to come up with a brand new message they've ever thought of that that's and, and if we did I, I'd be hard pressed to see how that that could even gain acceptance. The, the, really, the you just hit the nail on the head. The, the value is saying of these nine messages, four work substantially less well than you thought they did. Two actually make the matter worse, uh, and these three really do actually drive home an issue. Uh, and so it's almost more about getting rid of the the messages that do more harm than good uh, than it is about uh, on the upside. I, it's a it's a bit of a uh, different way of looking at at the issue that um, it's about mitigating harm to, to our own public affairs campaigns. And, and I think that the same is true on the identifying unexpected allies. That when we look at who's influential amongst uh, Brussels policymakers using the AI tools, uh, again, I, I'd say it would be fairly strange if we came up with a list of three dozen NGO stakeholders that a mature client had never thought of. That, that, and that's just not the case. What, what we're seeing is four or five that were outside of what they had anticipated uh, and looking at bringing in four or five new ones to a, a, an already large tent. Uh, and 
maybe about reallocating some of the effort uh, in terms of uh, courting different uh, unexpected allies. Uh, and it's about reprioritizing uh, somewhat rather than, as I say, rather than finding 36 new NGO stakeholder partners. That, that's just that's just not realistic. If we pivot back to sustainability, um, and obviously this is where you focus a lot on of your, your current work, have you got examples of companies that have gotten themselves into trouble? That's a rather timely question. I, I, what we see is the most likely area to get into trouble around sustainability is when vastly different stakeholders uh, want different things. So when policymakers want X, when customers want Y, uh, when the investor community want Z, uh, and a pressuring NGO community wants alpha. Uh, now we're looking at four very different sets of concerns the, that need to have that needle threaded. Uh, so we're working with a, a client in the food and ag sector uh, who their shareholders were looking for them to ramp up how they were pursuing environmental sustainability. Uh, but at the flip side, their customers were, and I think I can say this is putting it mildly, staunchly opposed to any further sustainability initiatives. Uh, so the coming back to something earlier we talked about is how does public affairs uh, within a company uh, interact with the commercial or the brand managers within the company? And so in this case, the commercial and the brand managers in the business were understandably resistant to any further uh, ESG talk, sustainability commitments, and, and putting that front and center. So I talked uh, before about building samples. I mean, that really is at the core of the, the persuasive analytics tools. Uh, so we built a sample of 10,000 customers, 5,000 shareholders, uh, and 5,000 policymakers, and then 200,000 members of the general public. And then we tested messages with all four audiences. And as you'd expect, there was you know, one or two messages that a given audience loved and the other three hated. Uh, and then there were some messages that resonated amongst two or three uh, stakeholders. Uh, but really, at the end of the day, what we we're trying to find was what is one message that can at least get the client through the bar of passing all four of the stakeholders' concerns. So that 10,000-person customer sample, that 5,000-person shareholder sample, the 5,000 policymakers, uh, and then the 200,000 members of the general public, uh, we had to find that message that worked uh, with all those different audiences. So we found them, we found that middle ground. Um, and what we've seen since is that the outward pressure from a few of those uh, loud groups has gone down uh, and their ability to competitively differentiate uh, on some core issues has gone up uh, without any of their, their core customers who were the, the most opposed uh, raising any real interest at all. So I think that that, that to them was a win, that I think this is something to, to reorient. I and mean, this is true whether you're using AI tools or you're using intuition uh, around sustainability is that not everyone is gonna be thrilled with everything. Uh, so part of what we're looking at is to how to find that uh, maxim in uh, approach of, uh, or at least satisficing uh, necessary stakeholders. That sounds like a neat segue onto my uh, last question for you which is about what's next. Obviously, your focus um, this year has been on, on sustainability, ESG, and really assessing the impact of, of, of various aspects of ESG on, on organizations. What's next, both in terms of topics and in terms of the technology itself? 
In terms of topics, uh, what we're increasingly seeing is that, I mean, four or five years ago, the, the clients that were interested or most interested in using these types of tools were ones that had perennially faced uh, concerns with various different products. Uh, what we're seeing now is that an increase in uh, sectors that don't traditionally have uh, these sets of issues where people are concerned about ingredients where people are or policymakers are concerned about various different ingredients. Uh, so it's these uh, sectors that haven't had to go through the these uh, the, the, I guess maybe I'll say this step sectors that don't have the the number of battle scars uh, that that others have accrued over the past few decades is is what we're seeing in terms of sectors uh, in terms of where the the technology is going. Uh, I think the, the most exciting piece is being able to increasingly work in, in a variety of languages and a variety of, of different dialects that people express uh, their concern in more and more colloquial ways. And even policymakers are speaking more and more colloquially. Uh, and so how do you understand uh, sentiment and real concerns when people are speaking more sarcastically, uh, more sardonically, uh, more in jest? Uh, I mean, something that it would be inconceivable to, to imagine 10 years ago, policymakers you know, publicly speaking sardonically about an issue, uh, whereas now that that's mainstream. And so being able to understand what someone's real concerns are uh, when you have to parse through these linguistic anomalies uh, is frankly, at least the, gets the nerdy part of me pretty excited uh, in terms of being able to uh, to cut through uh, what actually worries people uh, and what people just need to vent about. I think what you've just said is interesting. It pretty much symbolizes what makes you guys so special, uh, which is this, yeah, you've, you've got the nerdy techie side, which thinks of all the stuff that you've just mentioned now. And it, obviously a, a, an amazing understanding rather of technology and its limitations and, uh, and and what it can do. But you marry that with deep knowledge of, of, of politics and, and, and process and stakeholders. Uh, and you're able to combine the two to, to, to really generate the type of intel that we really can't get anywhere else in my experience. Paul, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And thanks everyone for listening. Steph, thanks for having me and uh, look forward to seeing you in Brussels next time I'm there.